we uh, went a few weeks ago. We were, uh, we, you remember, we were going through this book of Philippians, and I reminded you that it started out as Paul picking up a pen and writing a letter, a letter uh, where he was motivated by love towards the brethren a long way away. And he's in jail, and instead of being consumed with his own problems, he takes the time to write to another church. And, he, and he, he, there's nothing wrong with asking for prayer, but that's not what Paul did. He did not write his letter saying, look at the state I'm in, I'm not well, you know, I can't do anything. So he, he, he doesn't talk much about that. He may, he's mentioned being in jail and says, look how me being bound up in jail has furthered the cause of the gospel. So it's not what anyone would have expected, but this is the way God works. So it's quite a, quite a, a loving tone of, of a letter. And there was uh, some encouragement, you will remember, encouragement towards uh, growth, gro growth in the Christian, you know, in the, in, in the love for the brethren. We, we saw how he encouraged people to grow in uh, knowledge as well. So we spoke a bit about Bible study and things, and he also encouraged wisdom. And we said that wisdom was taking biblical knowledge and being able to apply it rightly to different situations in life. That's what wisdom is. Uh, we, to, so for the wisdom, we need the knowledge, uh, we need the love to drive us to do the right thing. <coughs> so, you'll see in verse, um, in verse 19 there, it says that the deliverance of Paul that he is expecting, it says it was through, it says through the people's prayers and also the help of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And we see that God, God, could, God could just bypass us in everything and just do whatever he wants and he chooses instead to use us and how imperfect are we and yet God is happy to use us as instruments to carry out this really important purpose that he has a purpose that's more important than anything else and it shows us that you know we, we have a part to play here. it's all of God ultimately but still it's, it's through the prayers, and so that's how God chooses to work. And so we, we come to this dilemma that Paul had that we read in verse 23. He's stuck in a way, he doesn't know uh, what to do. He's torn between, on the one hand, staying here, that means being released, and think how great that would be. He could, he could go off and carry on work and do so much good. And he could encourage the brethren and so on. Or, on the other hand, he, he also, part of him wants to leave, depart, cast off from this world for a better one. Where he's with Christ in an even closer way than he is uh, right there. So he has this dilemma. Now you may have got from the passage that he's quite optimistic actually. He's, he's optimistic that he's quite optimistic that he is going to be released. He expected to carry on with the ministry, no doubt, but, but still we, we see him contemplating these, 
the, the, the reality of what could happen, and it comes down to more life or, or death. And it shows us how he would respond, you know, he, he would triumph. Whatever happened, he would triumph. And it, it sounds odd to us to think of death as, as any kind of victory or triumph. But that's the example that Paul has uh, left us with. And he's got this remarkable statement in verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is a benefit. So I just want to briefly look at those two things today. First of all, the Christ life. The Christ life or the, the life that we live that is all about Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that uh, while I'm living, I have Jesus Christ. I have him. I have his spirit within me. Uh, I have him as my saviour. So Paul's saying that I've got Christ in me as my saviour. He's the one who loved me before I even existed in any real sense. He loved me from eternity. And Jesus Christ left that place of glory in heaven and came down to be a man. And he, as I referred to earlier, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became a man. And he left all that glory. Not because anything he had done. This was motivated by love. And he was willing to do it. And so he was happy to go to the cross and die for people who didn't even appreciate what he'd done. Uh, like us, really, we, 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 we think we appreciate God, but we, we carry on sinning each day. So what, what does that say? It says we need to try harder to show our appreciation. But he's definitely our saviour. We confess him as our saviour, and that's what he was to Paul. And he was also Paul's Lord, so to have Christ also means to have him as Lord. And Lord means your master. Your master. And so this is the one who you obey. You find out what he, what he requires of you and you obey. That's what it means to have Christ as well. And to have Christ also means to have him as your mediator as well. So we have him even now mediating for us in the courtroom of heaven. And we can picture him in, one, in different ways. We can picture the Lord Jesus Christ as a lamb. And so he, he stands there as a, a sort of a picture as a lamb that has been killed. Killed as a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And he stands there as a continual testimony to what he accomplished at Calvary. And as long as he's there, as long as he remains there, we are secure. We are secure. It's not that the Father needs reminding about anything, but still, he stands there as a, as a living testimony to what happened back there at the time of the atonement. He's also, when we say we have Christ as a mediator, we also have him in a, in a sort of um, a, a legal sense. Now this, this is not a real picture, but let me, let me use this picture. Imagine the courtroom of heaven, and imagine there that there's this hearing, uh, and Satan stands up. 
and picks one of you today and accuses, accuses you before the throne of God. And he'll come up with a, with, a, with a list, a list of things that you've done wrong this past week. And it's dead. It's happened. We're not saying it didn't happen. It's, it's an historical fact. We sinned. And yet, Christ stands there as our mediator to remind the judge that all those sins that he's brought up today, just like all the others, have all been paid for. They've all been paid for. He cannot then raise them and expect any punishment to be inflicted on that individual, on that Christian, because all the punishment due to them has been taken by Jesus. And these are just some of the ways he stands there as the, the our intercessor, as our mediator. So this is what it means to have Christ for me to live, Paul says. I have Christ in all these ways. And you know what? Christ is even involved in our prayers when we pray. It's as if he takes them and commends them to his Father and says, accept the prayers of this man, this woman, as if it was a prayer for me. And so it is that our prayers are accepted at the throne of a holy God. That's what it means to have Christ. It's what Paul meant for me to live. I have Christ, that's everything. And this having Christ means that there's got to be some outcome to it, fruitful labour. I mean, Paul mentions that in verse 22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, if I get released, he says, that means fruitful labour for me. Fruitful labour. It's the, the fruit is the, 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 the natural outcome of a plant that is healthy. And if you, friend, are healthy, that is in a good relationship with, with Jesus Christ, you will bear this fruit naturally. It will come naturally. And that fruit is seen through uh, an attitude to God and to others, a right attitude of love, and also what works, actually doing things, witnessing, serving people in the church. So friends, if he, if, he, if he, after today, after this Sunday, if God decides to give you and me a, an extra day, if he decides to extend our lives by another day, then we need to make sure we make our first thought, how am I going to glorify God today? Now I know some of you, on a, a, a Monday say, I know some of you will get up, go to work, come home, have some tea, and then maybe an hour or two before you, you've had enough, go to bed, and then the cycle starts all over again. Or maybe you're in, like one of the young ones, in, in maybe in college, and so your mind is filled with college stuff, all this, all this subject matter. The point is that wherever we find ourselves, in that job, or in that college place, or whether you're retired, or whether you're witnessing to people, whatever you find yourself doing, you are to do it to God's glory. So if he gives you another day, he gives you tomorrow to live, we are to live for Christ. And you to live is Christ. Make that your motto. So then, he says, we're to live a life that is worthy then. 
We are to do such things that makes our lives worthy. Verse 27. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, it says. Worthy. That means, friends, that this business of owning Jesus, it's, it's truly your greatest priority. Having Christ and living for him is your greatest priority. It is more important than anything, any people in your circle of friends or family, more important than them. More important than your career, your college, your university, anything at all. It's more important than everything. That's the priority. Paul says, for me, to, to live is Christ. We know, of course, some, some, some people don't live this way. All out for Christ. Well, let's be honest, none of us do. But why don't you know some people don't even have the don't even have the, the, the attitude that that's that's how you should feel, you know? So there are there are different reasons why some don't live the the, 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 the life that is full of Jesus Christ. Uh, and one of the main things is the distractions of this world. This world is full of distractions and having experienced many of them, I can testify that some of them are wonderful and exciting and worse than that, intoxicating. Some of the pleasures of this world are intoxicating with, with how, uh, just how satisfying they are to the natural man. This is one of the problems, uh, distractions, it could be anything, it could be socialisation, it could be socialising with, with friends. Now that's not a bad thing, is it? But is that, is that more important than God? People have hobbies, as we were driving down this morning, Kevin said, there's the scooter guys again. Got all these middle-aged blokes, and they got all the scooters, and you can tell that they were, you know, in the 60s, they were there with the scooters, and they looked the part, and they were all handsome. And now they're all like, no offence, like, but now they're about 70 years old, hobbling about, getting on the bike, and they're enjoying themselves. And I said to Karen, how sad, how sad that their lives, their spare time will be taken up by this hobby they enjoy so much. There's the friendship, the excitement of it all. It seems, wow, if, if I'm going to spend my life anyway, this is a good way to spend it with all these friends. And yet, all that is, is a time-wasting occupation to take them to hell. That is all it is. Because friends, our lives of people are just full with things that just suck your time away until it's time to go and then it's too late. Satan invents these things. He invents time-wasting uh, occupations for, for, for people. I mentioned about I mentioned a moment ago about friends and family, and this, this it's quite important to, to emphasise this. You see, of, of all the things that can dethrone God, eh, one of them is family. You, you, you take a few examples. You take an example of a mother, a mother's love for her child, something really intense. And you know as well as I do, for, for some, that, that extreme type of love it can be a greater love than what they have for God. So, let the scriptures warn you this morning that our God is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. He will have no one come 
before him. If you love family or friends, that is sons, daughters, parents, siblings, if you love any of them more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dethroning God. You are supplanting him with someone else. And you should be scared about that because for all you know, God might decide to take that person out of your life. It's horrifying. He might take that person away. He might take you away. He might say, well, it's time for you to go. He might, he might do these things. He, he, might, he breaks up friendships. He sends people, he sends diseases and, and, and all kinds of things. God is not mocked and he is a jealous God and he demands to be put first. And he deserves to be put first as well. So in terms of reasons why some don't live this life of, you know, I'm all out for Christ, it is a number of things. I've mentioned distractions and love for other people that is greater than the love for God. There's a more obvious reason why someone might not live this life of Christ is that they just don't belong to Christ in the first place. There's me talking about Christians and how we need to try harder, but... You know, there's, there's some outright unbelievers, and it says here in Romans, in Romans 8 and 9, it says, um, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's pretty straightforward. If you don't have this spirit of Christ in you, you don't belong to God. You're not part of the family. That's what it says. And so that's, um, you know, that's, that's something that we need to encourage others to, to think about, to examine themselves. Am I in the faith? Do I have this spirit of Christ? Or am I just going through the motions? Paul says for me, he says, for me, to, to live is, is Christ, and then he says to die is gain. It sounds a bit odd, but that's the other side of the coin. He says that there's a benefit in death. Now, as people get older, they, 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 you know, naturally speaking, as we get older, we're getting closer, aren't we? Now, I don't know why I might drop down death in the pulpit here. But, you know, we, we think, oh, we're getting old, then we'll wind down, and then it'll all be over. And, and I think what happens sometimes is, yeah, as people get older, there's a, a mild panic develops in them because they don't want to go. And then, so it's a, it's a bit strange. We have this natural aversion to death, and Paul says, it's gain. It's a benefit. It's a blessing from God. Um, it seems strange. Let me, let me be clear that... The process of dying and the, the, the death of, of, of the person, yeah, they are not good in themselves. They are part of the curse. So if we go back to the fall of man in, in Genesis. We find there that because of sin, death came into the world. Death came into the world. And so in itself, it is part of a, a curse of God. But... We remember that he has created this, this marvellous, 
plan of the ages whereby he uses that process of death to bring benefit immediately, immediately after death, incredible benefit. And obviously it's for us believers, it's not for everyone. There's, there's, there's no benefit. If you don't have the spirit of Christ and, and you're gone, you're dead, there's no benefit to you there. There's no gain for you. Paul's point here in verse 20, he says, that Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death, he says. So it seems that Paul's saying that the Christian can honour God in his death as well as his life. Now we think honouring God is, you know, coming here and worshipping him and serving others and evangelising, whatever it might be. All that Christian activity, that honours God. How can I honour God if I'm getting stuck in the ground? How does that honour God? Well, in a number of ways. Let, let me give you a couple of examples. and the, These would be based loosely on uh, experiences I've had with people I've known. But for the Christian to have a, a, a hopeful end to their lives... A peace. So you can imagine if I'm there and I haven't got long, but I have this hope and the conversations I have with people express <coughs> my hope and the peace that I have in me. You can imagine the effect that has. It has an effect on people, friends. It has a strong effect on the people around. It shows what, what manner of God is this that can give peace to a dying man. And so we testify. People have testified when they've been dying, when they're about to die, they testified. And it, it doesn't make sense, but we can honour God even in our death. We're to be courageous. We're to be courageous about it all. It says here in, um, in, Acts, uh, in Acts 21. In Acts 21, verse uh, 13. It says, um, and these people are crying because they were worried about what was going to happen to Paul, their friend. Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? What are you doing? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, he says he's ready to die. It, it, it's like... It's like for Paul, it's like, he, it's like he had one foot in the grave his whole Christian life, you know? It's as if he thought, like, that's, that, that's where I'm going, that's how I get to be with, with Jesus over there. So I'm, I'm ready for that. Now, if he gives me a few more days, a few more weeks, a few more years, then I've got stuff to get on with, so let's get on with it. But ultimately, the destination was there or there destination was to be with uh, Christ ultimately so to be courageous I said earlier that people avoid death now obviously if you're an unbeliever you could be thinking that I don't know you've got no idea of what happens when we die no idea at all you've heard all these different views you don't know so you're scared so you try to 
you try to put this <coughs> off and um, maybe you're an unbeliever who thinks uh, you know maybe you're convinced that you're an atheist and this is all there is this is it i get one shot i want me 70 me 80 me 90 years i want me proper innings and i'll be annoyed if it gets cut short and they will do anything they will do anything to just cling on to these past few years with this uh, this pandemic and so on we've seen people act in very extreme ways in order that a small minority of people might get a few extra years and i'm thinking that people need people need to hear the gospel they need to they need the message of god to understand why they're here and where they're going afterwards but people uh, you know have Oh, I've been so desperate to, to hang on at all costs. Even, even many Christians hang on at all costs. You wouldn't believe that they thought they were going somewhere better. So why would a believer, friends, why would a believer like us have this fear, this reluctance that Paul didn't have? Why are we, why are we like that naturally? Why is it? I think it's to do with faith. I think it's all to do with faith. Let me put it like this. If you and I, and I don't believe we do, if you and I right now believe 100%, 100% that when we die, we will go, we, there will be a resurrection to glory and we will live with God forever. If we believe that 100%, friends, we would be packing our bags <coughs> today. We would be getting ready and looking at our watches. Is it time yet? Are we going yet? Like you do when you go on a stupid holiday to Spain. We get all excited. You don't see that in the church. People are, people are desperate to hang on, to hang on at all costs. And I think it's faith. I think Paul was given by God a measure of faith that meant he had confidence. He says, right, I'm going to glorify God that way, or I'm going to glorify God that way. He almost, um, I'd say, didn't care. That's not exactly true. He took care of himself fed himself but certainly there's, there's, there's Christians are scared and scared they don't have the faith if I put a percentage on it maybe we're like 80% maybe we're 90% sure and so I think I'm, I'm not really I need to stay away from that and I think I don't know but I suspect as well some believers some believers just feel they haven't really done enough you know, when Paul got to the end of his life, he says, I've run this race. I've reached the end of the race now. He says, I've, 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 I've fought a fight and got to the end of the battle. Now, if you're a Christian who thinks, well, uh, I don't feel like I've run a race. Uh, where is this battle? I mean, you know, for many Christians, they don't even know there's a battle going on. They couldn't tell you where the battlefield is. And so perhaps for some Christians, they feel that they're not ready to go yet because they haven't done their duty. They haven't really worked for God and been sold out for Him. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons. So friends, pray for faith. Pray for the faith that Paul had so that he can say both those things at the same time about living and dying. So our priority then, to summarise, our priority is Jesus Christ today and tomorrow your priority friends is Jesus Christ putting him on the throne of your life and keeping him in 
Paul also had a desire for death. You might think that's morbid. Paul had a desire for death. That's true. And if we, we look over it, if you turn a few pages on, you'll come to Colossians. And you look in chapter 3 of Colossians and verse um, 4. This is a great promise. This is a, a wonderful promise of what's lying ahead. It says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's break that down. When Christ, who is your life, that's assuming he is your life. <clears throat> that's assuming he is central in your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he is going to appear again and it says this great promise you also will appear with him in glory friends with the saviour standing next to him in glory in a glorious environment and in a glorious body also that is the great hope and if we had that hope with all faith then we would be looking forward to this thing the, the problem with the Philippians, perhaps, certainly ours, there's, there's a tendency, there's a tendency with Christians to, to speak one way or act a different way. You, you know it. You've seen it in yourself, and I bet you've seen it in me as well. But we have this tendency to say one thing that we know is right. And we, we, as we're saying it, we're saying it with all passion and absolute conviction. And then we, we go off and act in a way contrary to that. And so, <laughs> every one of you would, would, would be delighted to read this passage out, uh, no doubt, and say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You'd read it out. You'd confess it was the scriptures. You'd confess it was inspired. You'd confess this is what God wants us to think. And then you'll go away and maybe revert to a life being a distracted Christian. Christian who puts friends before God and a Christian who is dreading, absolutely dreading leaving his life. And that's what happens sometimes. Our actions don't, and our attitudes don't match the truth that we say we believe. Someone I was reading wondered what would our city be like? What would our country be like if everyone was like Paul? Can you imagine if, if all the Christians in a place, all the Christians in Liverpool, imagine if we all had the faith of Paul. We said to ourselves, right, I've got to go to work, and I've got to go to college, and I've got to spend time with the wife, and I've got to do this, and all these other responsibilities. But when all is said and done, imagine if our whole lives were just consecrated to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if we thought that death was just something to be embraced, not to be avoided at any cost. Imagine how we turn this city upside down. Can you imagine what the city would be like to have people so committed to God in it? Paul says, all the time I'm alive, I've got Christ, and it gets better when I leave here. So, the question Paul had to ask himself was, which is which is best? I know where I want to go, and I know where I'm needed. How, how am I going to choose this? And his conclusion is that 
for now, he thinks God's placed it on his heart and he thinks he, he, has to, he has to stay a bit longer. So maybe he's a bit disappointed, but he knows he's, got, he's, got, he's got, still got work to do. And so that was, that was his attitude. We all have to make that decision as well. You know, which one is better? So as we sit there and we think, I want to stay here for my Christian friends. I want to serve the church down at Mitchell. I want to witness to my family. But I also want to go and be with Jesus. Well, we have to make that choice. And it's, it's, really, it's, a bit, it's really made for us. In terms of trying to preserve your life, you are expected to take reasonable steps to stay healthy. Okay? So we're not talking about a cavalier attitude when you stop going to doctors and you start saying things like, well, I'm not going to doctors, I'm going to trust in God. That's, that, that's rubbish. You, you, you take reasonable steps. You, you eat healthily, you exercise, you get help if it's available. You take reasonable steps. But you're not obsessed with it. You're not obsessed with it. Do anything to me at all, as long as I just don't have to go and be with Jesus. <laughs> that can't be right, can it? So, we've all got responsibilities, but let's try and make Christ, you know, what, what he was to Paul. So, how does that translate into our lives? Paul gives us a few pointers. So friends, if we're staying, if we decided this is the best thing for today and next week, we're staying here for a while and we, we, we need to find out what we need to be getting on with. Let's have a look at some of the things Paul says. Paul says, well, okay, if we're all staying, verse 27, he says, further down in verse 27, he says uh, that you should stand firm, stand firm, the church the church that, that tells us, well, we need to stand firm. Uh, it could be anything. It could be something like standing firm in your beliefs, for example. So not compromising. There's <clears throat> pressures to compromise. There's pressures to, to join in the world's morality and the things that we know are morally wrong. The world is telling us that they are now good. And we are to embrace them. And there's something wrong with us for not embracing them. But we're told to stand firm. We, we stand firm, friends. And we, it doesn't matter if you're the last person on earth who believes the things of the scriptures. You stand firm by yourself if necessary. Verse 27 also says that we are standing firm in one spirit. And so there is, um, there is a unity. There is a unity there. We're standing in one spirit. We are uh, united. We're united, friends. That means us as well. We're to be united. We're to be united in love. And we're also to be united in truth. It is, it is expected that a church will arrive at biblical conclusions and doctrines together. That we will come closer together as we learn together. That's the idea. And verse 27 also says that we are uh, striving side by side. Striving side by side. Striving means... Comes from a word that means fighting, fighting. We are fighting side by side, not by ourselves, with others, side by side, strength in that unity. And what are we fighting for? We're fighting for the cause of the gospel. 
So how we do that is maybe for another time, but certainly we are in a fight. So friends, you know, put the boxing gloves on and get stuck in. And verse 28 says that we should not be frightened. Verse 28 said we should not be um, frightened. It just means, of course, that whenever we're tempted, whenever we're tempted to, to be scared, uh, some situation that arises, or it could be some opposition, or some persecution, or some ridicule, we should be uh, courageous there. So what's the conclusion from this, from this one text where Paul says, Christ is everything to me while I'm alive, and then it gets better? That the message today is that we we are to live all out for Jesus Christ and then we're to see death as the entrance to that better place that we keep talking about the better place where we can enjoy this wonderful fellowship and socialising with Jesus Christ and each other and the people from all the other churches all over the world so let friends, let that be a, a motto. Let that be a motto to you throughout the remainder of whatever life the Lord has given you. Let that be your motto, which is that for you to live is all Christ and to die is nothing but gain and blessing. Amen.